Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. You know, folks, I am excited for my conversation today with our friend and in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, because he brought to my attention something that normally, in normal times, whatever those are anymore, we would have seen a lot more pageantry, a lot more discussion, a lot more headlines on newspapers that it has been, folks, four years since the Parkland shooting. Four years since 13 teenagers, uh, or I believe 14 teenagers, and three teacher and staff were gunned down um, in Parkland. Normal day, normal afternoon, Valentine's Day, and it would end in murder. Following uh, the massacre at Parkland, the young students who America's cowardice and the cowardice by our elected officials to keep them safe, to basically want to use the nation's children, right, as a political football. We're so great when we talk about the children being our future and we talk about the planet and we talk about their health and wellness. We allow the radical right to use children uh, and have made themselves into the, the party of quote unquote family values when in fact they only really give a shit about kids when they are existing inside of a woman's uterus and are still a collection of cells. But when those cells turn into a fetus, which then turns into a baby and actually finds itself breathing real air, they could give a shit. Well, I'll be honest with you, Democrats aren't really that much better. 
The ones that smile to your face, that want to hug you and tell you that they hear your hardship and they hear your sadness and we're going to keep fighting is the constant refrain. Well, you wouldn't have to keep fighting if you actually did shit, right? If you actually put a stake in the ground, if you weren't so goddamn afraid of your own electorate, of your own base, or just reactionary to what you think that Republicans would do if you took a stance that said, you know what's more important than you having an arsenal of guns? Oh, I don't know. Making sure that all of the children in our nation can go to school and not have to do a series of active, active shooter fucking drills. And that maybe we could go back to a time when the only drills that kids were going to be doing would be fire drills or earthquake drills. Drills about natural disasters, right? Or things that could possibly happen. Because I'll tell you folks, when I was growing up and when many of you were growing up, the idea of somebody coming in and gunning down classrooms of children would have been akin to life on Mars. Right? That was back during a time when people saw Pluto as a planet. But now we have allowed our children to become accustomed, accustomed to active shooter drills, accustomed to hiding under their desks and barricading themselves into classrooms because our elected officials have no fucking spine and refuse to stand up to the NRA. So instead, we have young people stand up to shooters and lose their lives. We have young people that we are coining as heroes when they shouldn't have to be because the heroes should be the adults in the room that make sure that they are fucking safe to begin with. But that's not who America is. You know, we love to talk about being the home of the brave and the courage of Americans. You're cowards. We're cowards being led by cowards because how four years following that horrific shooting, following the collective action of young people uniting for March for Our Lives, bringing in those young people who the news never covers, black and brown children that are living in communities that are filled with gun violence. They don't get the same attention as those whose lives are taken in a mass shooting at a school. And so it was the forethought of those young organizers that say, if we're going to do something about our nation's addiction to guns, then we need to bring everyone to the table together and we're going to put a microphone in front of them so that they can share with the world the expectations that adults place on young children going to school each and every day. You know, four years in the current pandemic wormhole of time that we are living in feels like Parkland happened 10 years ago. And the sad thing is, is that aside from the heroic efforts of those young people, nothing has changed. You know, I remember when David Hogg posted the video of then just crazy citizen Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
who was running down and threatening a fucking child that had the courage in the midst of dealing with his own trauma to go to fucking Capitol Hill to point fingers at elected officials and say, what the fuck are you doing to keep me and my fellow students across this country safe? Marjorie Taylor Greene, then a crazed citizen, ran down David Hoke, threatening him. And now that woman sits in Congress? That's what we have done. We haven't protected kids. We haven't even protected progress. Instead, we've elected those that were once considered fringe fucking crazies, believing that the Parkland victims were somehow crisis actors, are now sitting as distinguished members of Congress. If that doesn't show you how far down into the fucking gutter America and American politics have gone, then I don't know what will. You know, after every mass shooting since Columbine, I have asked myself, when is enough going to be enough? America is the only fucking developed nation in the West that has this level of regular gun violence. School shootings are just the norm. Mass shootings are just commonplace. It is amazing to me that people even still want to visit the United States as tourists because it should be on everybody's fucking watch list. We're a breeding ground for white supremacy, a breeding ground for gun violence, a breeding ground for crime. And yet people still want to come here. It's shocking, but that's what capitalism does. And that's at the core of why we won't ever have gun reform. There's no fucking will. There's no will on either side. Right? Because guess what? Gun lobbyists, bullet lobbyists, they pay a lot of fucking money. And what matters to politicians is money. Right? And then those that are not bought and sold like two-bit whores by the NRA are too chicken shit to actually stand up and the potential of a loss, to actually stand with some conviction for something that you know matters. You know what I realize these days, folks, you know, as we, you know, think about slain leaders, thought leaders that have tried to usher in better and brighter days in this country. You know, I I think about how little courage our elected officials these days have, that they actually would fold for anything, let alone stand for anything. You throw them the right amount of money, the right car, give them the right insider trading tip, they could give a shit about policy 
or about keeping Americans safe. There may still be a handful that actually believe that, but they're not the ones that are in power. They're not the ones that are pulling the levels of power. So it's hard, right, to look at this week, to think that four years ago, the world once again had their eyes on yet another American school that would have blood in its hallways. And once again, the world would watch as America would do absolutely fucking nothing. It's astounding. Truly. You know, I've been wondering, and, you know, because when you get to a certain age, unless you have kids, you know, you don't really get to talk to young people in the way that you would, right? And often, you know, I think to myself, I do. I want to talk to a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old these days and get their perspective on what they think about the world that they are living in. The one that we keep saying that we're going to be passing on to them. I can't imagine, right, what their thoughts must be of the absolute shit sandwich that they are inheriting, right? A world, a globe that is riddled with pollution, so deep, so traumatic that on one day we have 60 degree weather in New York and literally the next day, three inches of snowfall and we just all collectively shrug it off and say, oh, well, that's the norm. Much in the same way that you know, another headline of kids gunned down in their classroom. Well, you know, if it was, if it didn't hit double digits, guarantee it'll be out of the news cycle within a week. We're sick. America is sick. And the cause of the cause of our disease and our demise are so many, are so many. You know, I I look at America these days as like, as like a really ill patient, right? That seems terminal, right? Because you look at all of these different issues and imagine them as different abnormal cells collecting like cancers in the body. You know, let's say that climate change has taken over the lungs. So there is a lung cancer. And then you have racism and white supremacy, and that has taken over the mind. So there is your brain cancer. And then you have gun violence and abuse. And let's say that that has taken over the heart. And there is heart disease. You look at all of these abnormal cells that have been able to group and fester because we don't look at the body as a whole. We keep trying to target. And yet the problems keep spreading. So then eventually we just say, well, there's nothing we can do. Let's send our thoughts and prayers. 
right? Let's call in the minister to pray over the body of America because what once was treatable has been ignored for so long has now metastasized. And there is no hope except for that of a miracle. So are we praying for a peaceful demise or are we praying for a miracle? Because that's essentially the two choices that I see that we have right now. There is no peaceful demise. These motherfuckers want to go out literally with guns blazing. Folks, you know that when it is Wednesday, our in-house doctor is taking calls. And that is our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzel. Um, Jonathan, so we have another significant anniversary that has just passed. And it is shocking to believe that it has been four years since the shooting at Parkland High School and the shooting that took 17 lives, the shooting that far right wingers said didn't happen and that those young people who were propelled into activism were crisis actors. Um, there has been so much that has happened since the four years of Parkland, which feel like to me, at least it happened 10 years ago. Like I, you know, we all know and feel that in this time of COVID that it feels like we're living in type of, in, inside of some type of time warp, wormhole. Tell us your feelings about where things are in terms of gun control what conversations we have had and how much or little progress has been made since 17 lives were taken that afternoon uh, in, in at, at Parkland. I mean, you're absolutely right that it, it feels like 95 lifetimes ago, but certainly not for, I mean, I was reading the, the text, you know, the tweets yesterday from Fred Gutenberg who lost a daughter and, um, you know, other, other parents yesterday. And for them, it, it's yesterday. And so um, part of the story is just, I mean, obviously a lot of has happened in the world since then, but this kind of ongoing trauma and, and, and really Parkland was a moment uh, where there was a shooting at, uh, at the, you know, Marjorie Stone, Stoneman Douglas high school in Parkland. Um, 14 students were killed, three staff were killed. Um, and, and there was a moment where, you know, it, it was almost like a, a Sandy Hook kind of moment uh, where people were like, enough is enough. And so for a minute there, it felt like things were on the right track. Um, Florida passed a law raising the age um, at which people could carry semi-automatic rifles, for example. Um, there was a push toward activism. People like David Hogue and other people who survived the shooting created national movements Um and then the 2018 midterms um, after that were a kind of a victory for gun reform, people like Lucy McBath in, in Georgia and other mm -hmm. people. And so it seemed like things were really ascendant. Um, and then obviously many different things happened. The pandemic obviously changed the whole calculus about guns. Um, uh, people rushed out to need guns, breakdown in, in trust. Um, guns were designated at gun doors as essential businesses. So certainly part of this um, is that the pandemic really upended the gun control movement in a particular way. 
Um, but there was a lot of promise when Biden when Biden was elected, and the idea that when Biden was elected is here's finally somebody who's a champion in the White House. And I think there's a, a lot of frustration now. I mean, it does feel like the gun control side, just to be frank, is getting its ass kicked. It's it's losing mm-hmm. um, at, at at every level. It's losing in in the Supreme Court. Um, Biden has not been able to deliver on any of his promises. Now, I think Biden wants to be able to deliver on some of those promises. Um, but the issue is, it's just guns are incredibly polarizing issue. There are a lot of um, Democrats who feel like if they take a stand on gun on gun control, they'll they won't get elected reelected. The main issue, two main issues, are that um, that the just the we did not appoint anywhere near enough judges, and so when the judiciary is very strongly for the NRA and gun rights, you're just not going to get a lot done gerrymandering has impacted the Democrats' ability to do anything. And I think an important thing, just to be honest, is that, you know, I I understand there's a lot going on in the world, but Democrats kind of show up on this issue in spurts. Um, So they'll they'll show up after a mass shooting, they'll march, there'll be a march for our lives, but then they kind of go back to their lives. And so without sustained pressure, it just opened the door for, I mean, even in Florida right now, the, the 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 tide is so bad that the NRA is probably going to be able to overturn the law they passed after Parkland. Um, and so um, in a way, the tide is so bad. And part of it is about just what happened in the world. But part of it is unlike the right when, you know, abortion, they just showed up nonstop for 30 years and they had a plan and they had a plan to have judges. Guns is just one of many democratic issues. I understand that. But Democrats kind of show up in spurts. And when that happens, you just don't have the sustained pressure. And so all the gains of 2018 after the shooting have really been overturned and and things have gone backward. And so it's really a inflection moment right now that I think really we're going to have to come to terms with. You know, I, I do want to take the time machine back to four years ago, and I do want to talk about the March for Our Lives, um, which I was present at. And, you know, I can remember that in that moment, right, as we're watching these young people, it had been the first time, you know, honestly, uh, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, that we had actually heard from young people, right, ranging in age. And, and, and the beautiful thing about the March for Our Lives, and I don't want to discredit its impact because we haven't seen um legislation, because that is the cowardice of our elected officials that has nothing to do with the activism of these young people who, in the midst of dealing with their own trauma, um, figured out a way to draw attention to what we're sending them into certain death in a lot of places. And I thought that the beauty of that that march was that it wasn't just victims of you know, mass shootings that had grabbed the headlines, but that it was, you know, young people that live in various areas that have been, you know, um, that gun violence had been a part of their everyday life. Um, and so, you know, it's like, I thought it was beautiful for, for those, all of those kids, you know, some as young as, as 11, you know, 10, 11 years old, um, standing up in front of the world and saying, what are you doing? Right? How can you say that you care about kids and you care about our lives and our futures and you're marching us into, you know, to be sitting ducks? Because that's what happens, 
Right. And then you have, you know, the the Florida politicians of the world who turn around and say, oh, well, we just need to arm teachers. Right. And I think that there's a fit and start and you use the 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 right language there, a fit and start as it pertains to Democrats and gun rights because they're cowards. I mean, I just want to I just want to call things as they are. These days, which is that there isn't there isn't a right time to do the right fucking thing. You just need to have the courage to do so. And Democrats don't. And so whenever, you know, we we can talk until we're blue in the face about how about the dedication, you know, that Republicans have in order to roll back. Right. Uh, In order to roll back gun safety, in order to roll back abortion, in order to roll back, you know, desegregation like, you know, they have their eye on the prize and the discipline to do that um, and the courage to not give a damn, right? Because they are only beholden to their base. And we know who these, this base is. Hillary Clinton told us, you know, the, 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 the bunch of deplorables. And so, you know, when I look at this and I think about those kids and I think about many, there, there were several, I remember, that took their own lives after Parkland. So they survived a mass shooting to then later be taken by the trauma of it. Yeah. And I think Jonathan, that that's something that we don't talk about. Again, we're focused on the headline and what is grabbing attention at that time, but we don't follow these young people. Those, you know, even at the time of Sandy Hook, they were in kindergarten and first grade when their classmates were, were, were gunned down. Right. Do we follow them, you know, five, 10, seven years? Like, do we follow them later on to see how they have developed? Right. You look at Parkland and those some of those kids were on the verge of going to college. Right. And then took their own lives because of the trauma. You know, do you think that we missed the mark? And I'm not again, I'm not talking about the politicians here. I'm talking about us and our. Sustained empathy around these situations that we are putting children in because of the lack of courage. Well, it's funny. If guns aren't a factor in your lives, then you only hear about guns after shootings. Um, But if guns are a factor in your lives, then you care about guns all the time. And so there's an inherent divide in the quote unquote gun debate anyway, um, that really people are not I mean, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's an issue for Democrats. They only think about guns after shootings, um, which has a kind of natural course of shock, outrage, trauma, horror, reckoning, activism, and then indifference, right? I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like they don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but if you contrast that, I mean, I'm here in Tennessee, right? And the NRA has literally taken over the entire state. Like all this stuff about bankruptcy, it doesn't matter. They're like... They're like phase three of the matrix already right now. Like they're already in people's cells in a way um, because they control the judiciary, but they control common sense, right? They control this idea that you need a gun everywhere you go and things like that. And so, um, and so, and part of the issue is um, they started with a plan in the eighties, which, which, you know, basically um, mid 1980s is really when this new wave, the NRA started. Um, and part of that was about money from the NRA and lobbying, but part of it was just like, and w- which is hard to do, very focused, single issue. Anybody who didn't vote their way was going to get kneecapped and voted out of office. Mm-hmm. And it happened a lot. 
and de developed a core group of just nonstop voters who will show up for gun rights no matter what, very easily mobilized. They're manipulated by, you know, white racial resentment, as I talk about in my book. Um, but in a way, they they kind of created and mobilized this army of single or double issue voters in a way. And those guys just show up all the time, no matter what. So the the point is that, I mean, certainly the NRA is evil. I've seen firsthand how evil they are um, down here. But part of the issue, the issue is um, an, just an army of single issue voters. And the plan was to start at the lowest rungs with school board and local election and sheriff, everything like that, and work your way up. Um, and so there was tons and tons of local politics, tons of, um, I mean, we, we just saw it here, every, every step of the way, creating kind of top to bottom. And the reason I say that is because Democrats, I, you know, there's so much anger, there's so much anxiety, people just want to survive right now. There's like a lot of fear in the world. Mm -hmm. But I can also say, like, I did an interview the other day for the Brady um, gun violence group. And they're like, what can we do to reverse this tide? And I said, run for school board, like start at the bottom rungs of the, of the political process. Yep. Start getting engaged in these local because everybody wants to like virtue signal about like this big main thing that happened. You know, I understand Kanye broke up today and stuff like that. But, <laughs> um, but, but I, but I mean like, you know, but I mean like the, the I mean, even like the three percenters and the um, oath promise keepers and oath keepers and all that, they're all starting at the bottom rungs and working up. And I feel like until we kind of recognize that that has to be our playbook, um, we're going to keep losing. And, and I think guns is a perfect example of, of that. Jonathan, why do you think though that, I mean, <laughs> Republicans show us all the time how their playbook works and it's not as if they develop new plans they just rerun the old plays, right? Like it's, you know, over and over and over again. And so we know that they have been turning their attention. And Steve Bannon said, we're going to go village by village. That's what he said on, on his podcast. Why do you think that Democrats then are always so beholden to what is happening at the federal level? What as opposed to paying attention to and saying to your point, yeah, if we want um, stricter policies, right, that are going to keep our kids safe and we want to be in charge of making those decisions, then school board would make a lot of sense, right? Like if the parents of the Parkland students of Sandy Hook, you know, uh, ran for office, Right. Like ran, ran um, at the state and local local levels and began to infiltrate. Like, why do you think that we lack that coordinated campaign in the way that Republicans do? Because it's such a low hanging fruit. Well, I think there are two answers to that, and neither of them are very comfortable. One, of course, is that we're a very diverse coalition. And so we can't have the kind of monolithic white anxiety platform that um will lead people. But I mean, Republicans didn't always have that. They shaped it in a way. And so if you ask people, what do Democrats stand for? You're going to get a million different issues. I mean, women's reproductive rights right now, like there was an assumption people are going to be out in the street. Um, but some people are going to be out in the street and some people don't feel affected by that issue. So it's not like there's like these three things and that's what Democrats stand for. Um, and so number one is there's just way too much. And number two is Democrats, with respect, don't understand how politics work all that well. Um, 
And so I'll give you an example. Like I understand there's tons of anger at, you know, Manitin and, and Cinema um, for not voting for infrastructure bills. But those two senators have also voted for every single one of Biden's judiciary picks, right? And so the Republicans, like I'm hearing all these people say, oh, we've got to primary Manitin and get him out in a, in, I mean, West Virginia is the most. I, I am one of those people. So you're, yeah, you're definitely I know, I know talking that. to me. I'm I know one that. of those people. I, I understand that. But I'm saying like, like, um, you know, there, there's another thing they're doing, which is voting for every single one of the judges that Biden puts, puts in. Mm-hmm. And so unless you can come up with somebody who's going to win in West Virginia, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a, there's a world in which attacking people who are, not, who are voting for your judges is maybe not the best strategy. If you're, if you're gonna, um, you know, if you, if you don't have a viable replacement, right. It would feel great to get those guys out there, get out of there. But again, West Virginia is the most Republican state in the United States. Um, and so again, Republicans made a, a decision about 40 years ago that the power of this country is in the judiciary more than anything else they care. They don't care about legislating. They don't care about governing. They care about judges. And so, you know, you've got two senators who are pissing us off in every way possible, but they are voting for our judges in in a way. And so I guess there's a moment where you think like, man, is there a better strategy than trying to get these guys out of office if they won't be replaced by somebody who is who is going to come in and vote for judges in a way. I mean, there's a million different examples. I understand. And I, you know, and, and you make a valid point, but I, I would offer a, a counterpoint, which is that it is the job of the DSCC, uh, the DNC, um, to source out those people, to create the pipeline of uh, politicians so that, you know, like, for instance, what happened with the Obama coalition, you had this multicultural coalition of people across the country that were activated for a solid eight years and then nothing, right? Then no one following in the footsteps. There were no foot soldiers. There was no infrastructure. There was no plan to sustain that kind of thinking and that power and that enthusiasm, right? And enthusiasm dips and dips and, you know, and rises. But the reality is, is that it is supposed to be the strategic plan and the organization of those organizations that I just meant it, mentioned that are supposed to be the ones that figure out. So if Manchin were to die tomorrow, Right. Who is going to replace him in Virginia, in West Virginia? If, you know, cinema were again to fall off the map, who is going to replace her in Arizona? We just can't assume that because these people are there that, oh, my God, there is no one else. I find that the laziest excuse that Democrats offer. We just have to lay back and take what it is. Because nobody wants to do the due diligence and the decades long work that it takes to prep the next group of people that are going to assume power and usher across our agendas. Yeah, no, I, I mean, of course I agree. It, it, it's in line with what we were just saying, which is, I mean, but again, here's another example of us starting at the top. I mean, another example of this is like people all of a sudden paying attention and yelling that we should expand the Supreme Court um, without recognizing mm-hmm. that like the... Uh, the appellate courts and the local courts and all these kind of things. I mean, Republicans have been for decades appointing like 32 year old judges who their only qualification is that they're get an A plus from the NRA and stuff like that. Like, and so we just, we, we figure out an issue. We just heard about it two days ago and now we want to expand the Supreme court. 
Um, whereas we should have, the minute Biden won, had a list of judiciary appointments yep. for every single judgeship in the country and have people rallying out there and protesting. In other words, like we're just, we're just starting at the top. And I think West Virginia and Arizona is another example. I mean, it certainly took a lot of work and effort. I don't want to, you know, deny that at all to even turn just the idea that Arizona could be a purple state is took a ton of effort. Um, But I would say that the next step then has to be to create that bench. You've got to run for school board, (laughs) you know, all those other factors like create, create, create a world there. Um, But again, I think it's hard with the Democrats. I mean, you're, you're seeing now in San Francisco, for example, there's a lot of pushback. They were going to rename a bunch of schools um, and they were going to rename like Diane Feinstein school and stuff like that. And, and there was a split between centrists and progressives, um, in California, single payer health didn't even get on the ballot because of this and stuff like that. So again, I think the Democrats are like pulling in nine different directions. And so I guess, you know, Danielle, the question I would have for you about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is like, who's going to set the agenda that we can mm-hmm. all get behind. Right. Because, mm-hmm. um, because like, again, we happen to pick issues that are, that, that fracture our own coalition, right. which I think is, right. is tough. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I would say that I thought, you know, foolishly, I thought that the issue that was going to be, that was going to supersede all issues was going to be the securing of our democracy, right? Because every, all of these other issues, whether it be abortion, gun rights, none of it matters if people can't vote. None of it matters if we don't have free and fair elections, right? It, it, so to me, if I'm looking at, well, what's the way to secure our democracy moving forward? Well, I am going to go to the school boards, the city councils, the mosquito board, the fire, you know, like I'm going, you know what I'm saying? Like they have that in Florida. I'm going all, I'm going at all levels, right? Like sitting down with people who are from the most affected communities and saying like, you have power here. And this is what this could look like in two years, in three years, in five, in 10, right? Um, and figuring out that like the game has changed. And again, there are supposed to be smarter people than me that are supposed to be looking at, you know, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road and 30, and they're not, they're literally looking at November and then they're looking at 2024. And I'm just like, there, you know, we're going to be in a dark period for a long time. We are entering a, a new, an intellectual dark ages. Right. Uh, where 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 lies and corruption and greed just reign supreme. And so if you know that. Right. But, you know, that when there's darkness, eventually there comes light. But you have to be the light conductor. Then you have to figure out how you're going to do that. And we just sat here for 20 minutes saying, so you go to the local level. Right. Yeah. You engage the people that have been most affected and you say it's now your turn to run. Right. For whatever that is. But I mean, think about it. Like, so there were anti-mask protests. There were anti-CRT protests. There were all these school board protests. Where were the Democrats coming out in mass to say here we could support having lots of books in our kids' libraries or schools should be able to set their own curricula or teaching the history of slavery might be a little important for understanding the country. Like, where is the massive pushback? Like right now, without that local level mobilization, there's like literally no cost for the most radical of the, of the people. And so I think that's, that's part of the issue. So. 
Look, I mean, we've got a big election coming up. We've got a big election coming up. And again, it's weird because we've just given up the center to the radicals. But I mean, again, we have to fix our own house first. Like Democrats should say, here are the five things we care about um, and 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 stop virtue signaling and start unifying, like seeing seeing the bigger issue. Fixing democracy means first agreeing within our own party. And so I think that's got to come first. But we, you know, we have like seven minutes to figure that out. And then we got to, you know, we got to come play catch up. So a hundred percent. As always, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, you give us the news uh, that we need to hear whether or not uh, you give it with a spoonful of sugar this week. Probably <laughs> not, probably not so much, but it was the truth nonetheless. And we appreciate you and we will pick this up next week. Sounds good. Take care, everybody. You know, I honestly, children are supposed to be our future, right? They're supposed to be where we place our hopes and dreams that we were not able to actualize on our own. So we place those on the children to then pass the baton on to them. But I got to tell you, I don't know what we're passing on. Ineptitude? Spinelessness? Lack of compassion, empathy. What is it that we are teaching? Because you see, you teach kids verbally and non-verbally. You teach them with your action and your inaction. So what messages do we think that we are sending out to America's youth? I'm pretty sure the message that they are receiving is that they don't matter. And that nothing really matters, right? It's all about how you can spin it, how you can profit from it, not about how you can change it. And that's scary. Four years following Parkland. And what do we have to show for it? To the survivors of all forms of gun violence, I am so sorry that this nation continues to fail you. Coming up next, my conversation with our in-house doctor and good friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzl. And now, dear friends, for your woke moment of wellness. You know, when I got to thinking about the four-year anniversary um, of the Parkland shooting, I was reminded not just by the tragedy of that day and what would turn into massive conspiracy theories that would run amok, but what I was reminded of was that however hopeless, right, that I feel in this moment, what did bring tears to my eyes were the young people that organized the March for Our Lives. That in spite of the lack of courage from adults who are supposed to protect them, that these young people organized such an extraordinary event, such an extraordinary movement. I don't know 
what they are going to inherit. But I do know that on that day, I had renewed faith and I still have faith that their future will be better because they are faster and they are smarter and they are a lot more nimble than we give them credit for. So if you have young people in your life, whether you are a caregiver, a teacher, a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, a godparent, don't let them lose hope. And find your hopefulness in seeing, seeing to the fact that the spark that is in young people's eyes doesn't fade out from our lack of due diligence. Be the light conductors for them and allow them to be the light conductors for you. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF as always. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.